Welcome to the Association of Applied and Therapeutic Humor podcast, LaughBox. We have multiple hosts and multiple guests and multiple ways to think out of the box using humor. LaughBox is a production of the Association for Applied and Therapeutic Humor. Visit us online at www.aath.org. Follow us on social media, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, or LinkedIn. Music by Gary Rubio. For more information, www.garyrubiomusic.com. Join us for episode 101 with Jim Bob Williams, Katie B, and special guest Robin Phoenix Johnson. Yay! Two, one. Welcome to LaughBox, the official podcast of the Association for Applied and Therapeutic Humor. I'm Jim Bob Williams. And I'm Katie B. And we have a very special guest today. She's a retired lieutenant colonel from the Army, currently involved in helping veterans with comedy. Also about to graduate from Humor Academy Level 2, let's give it up for Robin Johnson! Yay! I'm happy for myself. <laughs> Yay! I made it through Level 2. Yay! Survivor. All right. So Hi. the question we usually ask people is, to start with, is how'd you get here? When yeah, you... who are you? Yeah. You know what? When I left the Army, it was a very stressful process. My whole adult life from 17 on 26 years total serving five deployments to Afghanistan and Iraq. And it was not an easy transition out. And I really was struggling so much. And I saw this advertisement for a comedy class through the Armed Services Arts Partnership. And I took it just really for my own mental health because I was so depressed and I found a lot of joy in it, had so much fun. And really it wasn't so much about learning comedy or laughing. It was more about the community of comedians that were like me. They were all military affiliated, either veterans or military spouses. And when we became a family and now of course, this is all happening during COVID. So we're doing a lot of things virtually and they really held me accountable for taking some active steps to improve my own mental health. And a lot of it was just writing jokes, like writing jokes and being creative and having that outlet because it was COVID and we had a lot of time on our computers. I started researching the science behind it. And that's where I found AATH. I just Googled like therapeutic humor and it came up and I thought, this is a really fascinating organization. Like I want to know more. And as we were coming out of COVID, of course, the first, this is lined up right around conference time. And I was like, oh, I can make that. I'm going to make it. And I ended up going to the first conference after COVID and the rest is history. It did level one and then level two, now about to go into level three. Yeah, that's what brought me here. It's so amazing, Robin. The amount of time, first of all, this is not always the best thing to say, but thank you for your service. And do you have PTSD? I do. I am diagnosed with PTSD. I have dealt with it well. I think people have the stigma about what that means. It's different for each individual. It's There's no cookie cutter PTSD. Some people will have nightmares. Some people will just have increased anxiety. And it's not anything that I'm necessarily ashamed of talking about, but it doesn't define me as a person. I also have high blood pressure. So there's that. I just feel like it's another thing that, that, I have to address, but what it does is it allows me to be more empathetic to my fellow veterans who also struggle with it and understand what their needs might be and that not every solution is going to fit every person. And that's why I like the humor 
therapeutic approaches because so many times our healthcare system says, go to therapy, take medication, go to therapy, take medication. But I really believe that humor can complement traditional therapies in a really effective way. Absolutely. And can we ask, have, were you injured in your 26 years? Not in combat. I've sustained some injuries just from jumping out of airplanes and doing like normal routine army training. Nothing super severe, just like broken ankles and torn muscles and things. Actually, I ended up getting a traumatic brain injury or a concussion, really a really bad one, but it wasn't even in the military. It was on vacation and I slipped and fell and hit my head on a a big tub in the bathroom. So it's always my joke is like, yeah, I went through five tours in Afghanistan and Iraq and never got a concussion. And then I get one at Disney World, which is awesome. Not the most magical place on earth to me, but my kids had a good time. So I guess it was worth it. Yeah, but no, I didn't have any combat related injuries. And can we talk about your family? I didn't realize that you had kids. And so tell us about your family. Yeah, so I married another army soldier. My husband and I met when we were lieutenants in our second assignment. He was coming from flight school. I was coming from Korea. I just spent a year there and we met on the first day reporting into Fort Campbell, the 101st Airborne Division. We got, we deployed to Afghanistan. Then we came back, got married and then deployed to Iraq like really quickly. So we had to get married to the courthouse. We put off having kids for a while because we were deploying all the time between the two of us. He and I have 11 deployments, but we deployed in 02, 03, 05, 07. He deployed again in 13. And then I deployed in 16 and he deployed in 17. So like lots of stuff going wow. on. So having a family was a big decision for us because how do you juggle leaving your oh. children? Who's going to take care of them? What, what would happen if something happens to you? So it was a big decision. So we didn't have children until we were a little older. So our kids, actually my son's birthday is today. Oh. He just is double digits. He just turned 10. Happy birthday. What's and his my name? Da- Colton and Colton. Annabelle will be 13 on Sunday, the 26th. They're three years apart, but their birthdays are five days apart. And yeah, I feel like having kids is way tougher than going to combat. I'm not going to lie. Like having a teenager, like my PTSD has nothing on raising a teenager. Nothing. Okay. So tell us about the best medicine brigade. Yeah. So the best medicine brigade is a group of veteran or military spouse comedians. You see my logo back here. I really started it because when I first got into comedy, I thought I don't see very many veterans or military spouses being represented in the industry and why are our voices not being heard. And especially not very many women veterans. And I felt like military spouses were being excluded. So it wasn't a very diverse pool of veterans that I was seeing. So I thought, no, there's got to be a way for us to get more opportunities, more awareness that we've got some really funny people. The stories and perspectives that veterans have is so unique. And we tend to be a little bit darker humor sometimes, but there's a lot to be heard. Originally, it was just a Facebook group. It was just a small group of us that just was encouraging each other. Sometimes we throw each other a gig. If we couldn't take the gig, we'd pass it to one of our battle buddies. Hey, do you want this? It's in your neck of the woods. This is contact, whatever, we would help each other out. And it was very informal. And then I formalized it into an actual C-Core to a company. And now we're getting booked all over the country for anything from a small, like a VFW or an American Legion post to a big conference. So we're getting a lot more exposure and now we're going to be on tour here soon. Oh, that's fantastic. That's amazing. How many of you are there? So there are 18 officially. We're growing. I started with just a core group of 
people that I knew that I had came up the ranks with, if you will, in comedy. But now we're going to grow. We're actually now going to open Best Medicine Brigade very soon to any veteran or military spouse that wants to join. It's just that when I first was standing it up, I really needed to figure out the business model and like what this looked like. And I think what we're really looking at now is just maintaining it as a community and support network. And then there'll be a premium feature if somebody wants to have their booking information, a video, their bio, their headshot, and make it more of a source for them to get opportunities to perform. That would be like an annual subscription, but the basic community would always be free. So people can join and enjoy the resources and the professional development sessions that we offer, regardless of if they would get it for free, they wouldn't have to pay for any of that. That's fantastic. Yeah. Now it's said that creating humor is is as therapeutic as laughing. Tell us about your creative process. How do you develop a set, for example? It's a sickness, really, because you're always trying to find a joke in everything. And that can actually be mentally exhausting because not everything is going to be a premise or a good joke. But I'm even, I was even at a funeral like two weeks ago. I can't stop that part of my brain from thinking through some of the funny things about it. And just the, and some of it's not full jokes. They're just these ideas. It was so funny to watch my son try to read a hymnal. And I realized I had never taught my son how, you know, in a hymnal, you do the yeah. first, you go back to the second, but he was nine at the time. He was so confused about how the song was supposed to go. And I grew up in church, but like, how, this is basic stuff. Or even like situations where I'm not supposed to be, it's dark humor where I'm like, it's not supposed to be funny, but to me, in my, I think it's creatively a weirdness about me. I did a blind veterans show last Friday and they were good sports about this, but in my head, I'm like, these are blind veterans are probably really patriotic. I wonder if they sing the national anthem like the same way. Do they feel uncomfortable at the beginning when it says, oh, say, can you see? And it's a really dark joke and probably not funny to everybody. They actually thought it was hilarious and they laughed, but yeah, you never know. And then now it's cancel culture. So you don't want to offend people. It's like, you got to walk on eggshells. And most of my work that I do is clean. So that's a whole nother challenge as well is because it's easy to do dirty jokes. It's easy to punch up a joke with a few cuss words, but it's very challenging to work as a clean comic. I can, yeah, I can imagine. Tell us about the Humor Academy and your process with that in terms of going from just starting to what it's done for you now. I have really enjoyed really the relationships. It's for me, the most valuable part of the Humor Academy has been the network and the support. I've got to work with just some wonderful people who have like encouraged me to do more. The lessons and the content and stuff, I, I think it's a lot of self-study and I think I would have did that anyway, to be honest, but you can't, you really can't replace the relationships and how you grow. My instructor from year one was Brenda Elsiger and she's so great. And she like really motivated me to get into motivational speaking and talking. And now I'm getting a lot of opportunities to do that. And so her coaching was invaluable. And Dr. Frank Chandamo was another one who's been supporting my work and helping with his LAFMD, like us collaborating on how we can make a better patient experience for veterans going through pain clinics at the VA. Yeah, just that. Lodge McCannon, Mallory DeSalle, both of them have been really wise people. Paul Austin Cup, like I don't want to leave anybody. Of course, my instructors now, Nyla and Joyce, 
But yeah, there's a whole list. It's, it's, it's like being in the military. You only are so good by yourself. But when you have your fellow soldiers around you, you're much stronger and you're a team. And I feel like they extend your capability and they hone you and make you tougher and stronger and better. Oh, that's so wonderful. And I'm excited for you. So what does year three look like for the Humor Academy? I don't know. I've far, I feel like I went past what I set out to do for level two. So now I feel like I set the bar too high because level two, I was like, let me just look into how therapeutic humor can help veterans. And then now we have done, we just completed today, actually, right before we recorded was my 48 online therapeutic humor session with the Ralph H. Johnson VA Medical Center. Thank you. And that the progress I've seen in those patients has been phenomenal. It's made a big difference. And some of them have quoted on the survey saying it's the best thing that the VA has ever done for them. It has changed their life dramatically. Their outlook has become so much more optimistic about their life and their situation. Their depression levels are lower. Their anxiety is lower. So that's very validating and it makes me want to do even more. So my goal this year is to grow and scale the offerings. Right now I'm only offering it in Charleston and in Youngstown, Cleveland, Ohio, VA medical center. I would like to do it at more 1300 and some VA medical centers across the country. And I'd like to do it more. And if they're not going to have me do it, then find somebody to partner with maybe some other nonprofit to help get this available to more veterans. And so that's the goal for year three is I'd really like to be doing 20 to 30 sessions a week. And if I have to grow staff to do that, I'll grow staff. I just brought on a wonderful psychologist, Dr. Jeff McNeil. He is retiring from the army next month. And he is, he was the former chief of psychology for the joint special operations command and for the talent management task force, wonderfully brilliant doctor and expert. So being able, since I'm not a clinician to partner with him and take my comedy skills with his clinical expertise, we've been able to come up with a really nice instructor manual for facilitators and then have an ability and a plan to scale this nationwide, even worldwide. I think Canada, we have a lot of coalition militaries, I think we find this extremely valuable. And what does this session look like? So they're really tailored and customized to whoever the client is. The one that I'm using the most, there's two, two that I use the most. One is a comedy bingo, and it's just more for de-stress. It's online, and we have two comedians do 10 minutes of virtual comedy each, and the participants are given a virtual bingo card. It's a coverall, and they listen for the words in the sets of the jokes, and they can put that they got bingo in the chat. Or they can unmute and yell it out. Most people just put it in the chat. And the last 10 minutes is me basically sharing about a tool or technique that they can use in their day-to-day life to approach a situation. So we'll normally pick a topic that's like something that frustrates them or is a challenge for their day-to-day life. And then we'll make a joke about it. Then the other format is more of a teaching comedy and joke writing techniques and helping them do this thing. What is hard, scary, funny, and or weird about your situation? And then we mind map ways to also make that funny. So for example, we had a, one of the blind veterans, I said, what's hard about being visually impaired? What is, what's so challenging? He said, I don't know why I've I've been legally blind for six years. And my wife will still be like, babe, have you seen my keys? He said, no, I have not seen your keys. And then I said, okay, let's keep pulling the thread on this. And he says, 
I said, what else? He goes, sometimes I'll eat something that like I need to eat. I said, okay. I said, but what is your wife? You know, what, what might be something else that your wife would ask you that you know, when she's trying to make a left turn, she's like, babe, is there any traffic coming? He's, I, no, I don't know. I'm not the right person to ask. I said, he goes, but I don't see how this is funny. I don't know how to make a joke out of it. I said, okay. I said, the joke is I've been legally blind for six years, but my wife still asked me questions. Babe, where are the keys? I don't know. Babe, is there any traffic coming from the right? I don't know. Babe, do I look fat in this dress? Yes. So it's just helping them laugh through those things gives them just a sense more of a sense of control and just feeling more positive about their situation, which then in turn, you know, combats depression and the anxiety associated with that. I really believe that this is going to be a huge suicide prevention tool. I mean, that's the number one priority for the American Legion. It's a huge priority, if not top priority for the VA. So we all agree that there's a problem. And now I'm just trying to offer an innovative solution. And hopefully they'll understand like it's working. It does work. All right. For sake of full disclosure, I am trying to make contact with the VA in West Virginia. Because where I live, we have a large VA hospital, actually three near me with an hour and a half drive. Also a counseling center nearby. And I'm trying to get the message to them that I can show them in the VA webpage or web pages where the VA recognizes humor as a, excuse me for using terms without a license, alternative modality, something that helps therapies become more effective. When I'm, next time I go to the VA and knock on the door, what should I be screaming? I started off, I'm a volunteer. So the work that I do at the Charleston VA, I don't get paid for. So I approach the volunteer office. And then I just asked to be assigned to the mental health or behavioral health ward or department. So that's how I started the bingos that I work. They did find funding for that through the whole health angle, but not through behavioral health. And it's not a lot, just a little bit enough to like, it's not a lot of money. Let's just put it that way. But this isn't about the money for me. It's about my passion. But yeah, I started off as a volunteer and then I think either the whole health, they normally have some sort of budget if you needed to fund like travel or gas or whatever, but most of my stuff is virtual. So it's not overly expensive to do. It's just a matter of the prep time and the time because I'm donating for every hour session I do, there's another three hours of work around that. So really a one hour session is easily four to five of work. So that's something, yeah, I would talk to whole health. And then I would talk to the volunteer and be like, is there any way that I could lead a humor group? And they have that thing called the PRC. And I wish I could patient recovery, something center, community center, I think. And that's where mine goes through on the behavioral health side. But it is frustrating. It took me a long time to get accepted. It took me months of being like, hey, I will do this. I will do this for free. Like I know what I'm in this association with training and I have clinical expertise support and it finally took, and now it's the most widely attended group that they offer for outpatient. More veterans attend our group than any other group because it's fun. It's a lot of fun. I'd like by the end of 2024, really by the end of this year, but to have a larger umbrella of things where there's lots of different offerings. And so there's maybe a partnership with LaughMD in there and with Joy First, like there should be lots of partnerships so that we can spread joy and laughter and hope and humor at a larger scale. Like my little company alone is not gonna do it by itself. 
but I am, I'm applying for a VA grant and some other grants to see, can we scale this? Can we make a huge impact by bringing it all across the country, not just Charleston and Cleveland? I am coming Jim Bob to West Virginia. I've got two shows in Charleston, West Virginia. So I'm on three comedy tours. One is with the Southern mama and friends tour with Darren Knight, red squirrel and Gary Cargill. Okay. And then the other is the Glitter and Grit Tour with Red Squirrel, Ashley Gutermuth, and I. And uh, the other one is the tour I'm producing. I'm not performing in it, but I'm producing Operation Hilarious, which is a 10-city tour with a finale in Hollywood. So 11 shows all together. And oh. we are on the search to find America's funniest veterans and military spouses. And our first stop is coming up April 1st in Columbus, Ohio. And they can find all these dates, any of these tourist dates on my website at bestmedicinebrigade.com. All right. Bestmedicinebrigade.com has all the upcoming shows and hilarious.org has information about the therapeutic humor. Both those websites will redirect you back and forth because they support each other a lot. For example, Hilarious is the nonprofit that does the therapeutic humor, but we will often contract a Best Medicine Brigade comedian to do some of the facilitation. Okay. So they work in support of one another. I had originally just started off with Best Medicine Brigade, but I realized very quickly that if I wanted to do work in this space, that it would go a lot faster as a nonprofit than as a for-profit company. So I split them up completely. Comedy stuff, Best Medicine Brigade, therapeutic humor, hilarious. Okay, fantastic. Now, one thing about level three is the application of humor in leadership. I have a feeling that you used leadership in your, used humor in leadership in your time in your army, in your time in the army. Can you describe a time that you used used humor to make your leadership more effective? Well, I don't know if I made it more effective. I got in trouble for it a couple of times. <laughs> Ultimately, yeah, I always had this kind of like subtle, drier sense of humor. And you say it again, you say it to the wrong person, you say something and they're offended and that's it. And the army's not real tolerant of that. And Honestly, there's a little bit of a double standard for what women can say and what men can say still to this day, which is very frustrating. But I think my soldiers and 90, 99% of the people I served with would say I was funny or I made them laugh or I had a good sense of humor. There's always that 1% going to roll their eyes and not appreciate your sense of humor and think that it's unprofessional, which is a shame. It's such a shame. And uh, I was a little disappointed because I really think ultimately- It was a blessing. Well, it's not to say I was disappointed. It was a blessing because I realized this when I was a lieutenant colonel at the end of my career, mostly as a battalion commander, I realized I am no longer like, this just isn't a good fit for me. I, my brain thinks in a different way. It's so much more creative and innovative. I think outside the box. And even though they say they want outside the box thinking, no, (laughs) not really stay in your lane, think this way. And it was, I just wasn't, I knew that I was culminated in that I wanted to pursue something that really allowed me to express myself and be not Robin Phoenix, basically that Phoenix was rising. And I, I was ready to sunset Lieutenant Colonel Johnson. And I was ready to be Robin Phoenix Johnson and I couldn't wait. And so it was a blessing because just so many things started happening where I was like, this is so against everything that I actually believe in. And I want to be authentic and honest. And I just couldn't continue to, to do that in uniform. It sounds sad. It sounds like I'm bashing the army. I love the army. The army gave me a whole career. I have wonderful friends and experiences. It's just, sometimes you just know that like you're called to a different thing. Yeah. It's funny because my best friend from high school joined the army, went special forces, 
retired as a colonel and he was loving it. I said, so why do you, why do you retire? And he says, you just know, you just mm -hmm. know when it's time. You can do a lot through the military, but there's sometimes you have to find another, another playground to express yourself in. Yeah. For, and for me, it was just the cancel culture and just immediately you're assumed to be in the wrong and tiptoeing around feelings and then fending people. And the higher you get up, the more they're ready to take you down. And it was just not a good sandbox to play in. I was like, I can't. And people are so serious and intense. It's like the higher ranking you get, it's like the more intense you have to be and the less you laugh. And I looked at the leaders above me and there were very few that had sense of humor or that I saw laugh much or smile much. I always would see them scowling or just super serious. And I had just, I thought, I don't want to be that miserable. Like, I know I don't want to be that. And if that's what making Colonel or anything beyond that looks like, then no, thank you. And that doesn't mean everybody. There are some senior leaders that I think have great senses of humor. General Hope Ramby, there's Johnny Richardson, the 74th Colonel of the regiment, some great leaders, but by and large, I'd say the majority had zero sense of humor or very little. Okay. I think we live in parallel universes. Yeah. <laughs> they take the uh, out of it. I was in a chemical company where to, yeah, to advance to the upper echelon, you were supposed to say be rigid adherence of a management system. If I, if I could be kind and I'll express myself. Yeah, and I realized that, no, that was not, yeah, I, need, I needed some more, I needed some more bandwidth to play in, but I had fun. Yeah, there, all in all, I loved my army experience. I'm a soldier for life. I'm very proud about my service. I'm very proud of the army. I'm a go army beat Navy person every single day. Like I love the army. I just had culminated and I knew that I had reached where I needed to be and that I was being called to a different purpose. And it was such a strong magnetic pull. There was no stopping it. it. It just felt right. And part of this too, you had to remember I have kids and I left my kids to go to Iraq and my husband and I were just high-fiving each other. We spent almost two consecutive years. We missed, we had two years where we had no Christmas together because I was gone to Iraq for the wow. first one. And then he was the second one. And I wanted to also give more stability to my children. And it wasn't possible to stay in the military and do it to the level I felt was right. So that was also a big piece of it. It wasn't just a dissatisfaction with the culture of the army. It was very much also a family decision for us. So you changed your career being a career army woman mm -hmm. to comedy and can you talk a little bit about that life decision and the process that took you? And you did a little bit already. So if there's more you'd like to fill in. Oh, it was scary as heck. I went from being making active duty Lieutenant Colonel pay, which is decent to being a stand-up comic, making no money. When you first start out in comedy, one, you're not very good. Nobody's good at the beginning. I don't care what, if you have a natural gift or not, you're just, it's impossible to be because you have to have training and practice. That's the only thing that makes you better. So yeah, I would, I remember, in fact, I was just meeting with my accountant this past last Friday on St. Patrick's day. I had a meeting with my accountant and we were doing the 2022 look at my books and we were going back and I had that first check that I ever got in my folder and it was $30. I got $30 the first time I ever performed. And then just recently I got $3,000. And I was like, nice adding those zeros. 
on there. And she was like, I'm so proud of you. You went from getting $30 to do five minutes or 10 minutes of comedy to getting asked to speak for a thousand plus people for 45 minutes and getting paid three to $5,000. And I was like, oh my gosh, that's right. Like it has been a journey, but my husband was super supportive at the time. He was still active duty. He was, he retired a year after I did. So we had the financial security of his income. Plus, I mean, I am retired. So I get a retirement paycheck each month. I call it my alimony from uncle Sam. Cause I felt like leaving the military was like an amicable divorce. Like I was done with a relationship and they were done with a relationship and we were just like, have a nice life. I don't care. Cause I get my check every month, <laughs> like alimony. But yeah, I, it was scary because I have, I had become accustomed to a certain lifestyle. So there was no more getting Starbucks every day. There was no more like going out to eat as much. Like we made, we had to make some budget changes for our family. And there's also a large investment upfront of supplies and your brand and buying your website domain, getting headshots, like all these little things that are not talked about. You don't realize how much it costs to start up your own company. And I chose to do it bigger than probably most. I decided to just jump in the deep end. And so I had a logo designed. I had t-shirts made. I did all the things I thought I was supposed to do. And then my husband was like, how much money are you going to spend before you start making money? <laughs> so we had to have a little reset and regroup, but it's worth it. Oh, and you're completely succeeding. You are beyond succeeding just because first of all, your headshots or the photographs you recently posted yeah. are beautiful. Stan Foxworthy, everybody. Stan Foxworthy Studios in Charleston, South Carolina. I was like, who is that person? I kid you not. I had a glam squad come in that did my hair and makeup. And they had so much makeup on my face that my face ID on my iPhone would not recognize me. I said, this is some, okay. Are these headshots even going to be like me? Are people going to know who I am? And he's taking these shots and I'm like, that doesn't even look like me. He's good lighting and good makeup. You're going to look, and of course he touched them up some because I'm 46. So I was like, can you get rid of these puffy eyes? Can you get rid of these lines right here? But yeah, he was a great photographer. Such The way he uses lighting to bring out your best features. Yeah, he's brilliant, but thank you. But again, money, it's an expense, right? It's not cheap to get headshots and full makeup and hair. You got to really be invested. And we'll just, for the radio crowd that doesn't see where you're pointing, that's confidential information. <laughs> yeah. Sometimes my mom's, you shouldn't share so much about your secrets. Like, why do you tell everyone you get Botox? And she's, you, that, those are lady secrets you don't share, Robin. And I'm like, I don't know. I just want to be honest and authentic and people to know this doesn't happen by itself at 46. You got to, and I want, I don't want other women to feel like it's natural because then they're going to judge that against what they think reality is. And it's, that's not a good, that, that causes a lot of people body image issues. Thank you. Thank you for being so real. I think a lot of people too will say, why do you do that? Cause I do, I had my eyebrows microbladed. I have lashes. I do all of it. Like I do the boat. I, do, I don't overdo fillers or anything like that, but I, I do some sort of Botox or dysport in my forehead, but people will judge me sometimes because I wear makeup and dress kind of glitzy, but here's the thing. got to remember 26 years wearing camouflage, 26 years wearing my hair in a bun, 26 years, no fingernail polish very minimal makeup allowed. Like I was emasculated for that long. I want to be a girl. I am a woman. My husband married a woman. I would like for him to stay married to me, 
So I'm going to dress up. I'm going to look nice and I'm going to embrace my feminine qualities and enjoy it because for so long I couldn't, I think when I put it that way for people, they're like, oh, I get it. Cause I'm super girly. You guys know if you met me last year, I will be in the most rhinestone and glitter pink outfits out there. Do you have any advice for a newbie going from year one to year two? Don't procrastinate on your project. Yeah, I procrastinated on my presentation. So now I'm scrambling before the conference to get it done. So I would say that's the biggest thing for me is I did not manage my time well up front. I would rather just get it. I would just say, get it done earlier than later because there's no harm in it to get it done early. But yeah, I can't, I did the work. I just didn't put the PowerPoint together. I'll be speaking at the conference about the tour of joy. So I'd love to see Um, you there. I'm doing a breakout room. What's your future? What's next? How big do you want this to get? Huge. I want it to be in every VA medical center in the country. That's really, I want it to go to other countries. I want to be a global solution. So that's, and I'm really more focused on hilarious than I am my own comedy, personal comedy performances and pursuits. I'm so blessed to have the opportunities, Bang Productions, Television, the CEO, John Cosma, the producer of Southern Mama Tour and the producer of Glitter and Grit. I I'm so honored that he asked me to be part of that tour. I mean, he could pick anybody. I don't know why he picked me. He's a guy who goes off of energy and feels, feels out situations. And he had, he believed in me more than I believed in myself. And I honestly was just doing comedy for fun. It was never an intention to go on tour and become a personality or an entertainer full time. I just was doing it as a hobby, really. I hope to break even. But now it's, oh, that's actually a thing and it's going well. So I'm juggling both. And so it's, I've had to do some soul searching on where do, how do I spend my time and what percentage of time am I spending on Robin Phoenix and the touring and my own comedy career and hilarious and helping make a larger impact through that. And then I'm also a manager for one comedian, Ashley Gutermuth. I don't know if you guys follow her. She's so funny. And I love her to pieces. And so that's also another piece of all of this. So it's a lot of things. So my goal this year really is to take Ashley to the next level. She gets about 20 million views a month. And she's such a strong advocate of the military community. She just won Air Force Pass of the Year. And she and I are on tour together with the Glitter and Grit Tour with Red Squirrel as the headliner. And we're going to be in Nashville at Zany's. We're going to be at Huntsville at Stand Up Live. And we're going to go to... I always say this wrong, Opelaka, Alabama. It's like where Auburn University is. So we've got three shows locked in so far with more to come. And that is going to be fun because you get the three of us together. It's on fire. It's really a good time. As we scale, as we start to get more opportunities to deliver the programming, I'm looking for more facilitators, growing my team. So if there's anybody who has an interest in that, that's something in I think in 2023 that I'm going to need. So just connect with me at Robin at bestmedicinebrigade.com and, or I'm on LinkedIn as well. Would love to have connections there because I'll be putting out announcements when we get additional opportunities. I will put out on LinkedIn and through the AEH community that I'm looking for facilitators and instructors. And you don't have to be a clinician per se. We train all the facilitators. So it comes with training. And it's not rocket science. There's some science to it, but it's not like you have to have a PhD or a medical degree to do it. We make sure everyone has the skills and 
the resources they need to be successful. So it would appear that your Army career prepared you very well to understand the logistics of establishing a comedy career. Yes, of course. The Army, one, you can read the room. Reading the room as a comedian is really important. And we're taught to assess our environment very quickly and with depth. And I feel that it does give me an advantage when I'm going into a room that I've not been in before in front of a new audience, which is 99.99% of the time, is that I can read people's body language. I can get a feel and vibe for the energy and really make some quick decisions in my head. I can pivot my material. And if I have a particular set that I was prepared to do, I can take the, what I call Intel, or we say like a preparation of the battlefield. And I can take that and then I'll pivot and I will adjust my set accordingly very quickly. Just, and that's something I think that a lot of non-military comedians maybe don't do as well, or they have to work harder at doing, but it's just so natural for military people to be able to do that. We're very adaptive and able to make adjustments. I don't get a lot of stage fright. I don't get too nervous. I get focused, which sometimes people misconstrue as nerves. I just get focused on the task at hand, very like laser focused, like you would imagine a typical military person would be with the mission to do, but I don't get nervous too much because I'm like, I'm not in Iraq or Afghanistan. This is a pretty safe environment. I don't feel like I'm in any danger what's the worst they're going to do is not laugh. So that, that gives me, I think a little added edge as well, because I don't have to combat that. Yeah. And then logistics, just the planning of things and being organized, the military skills that I had helped with that for sure. Okay. So question I, I always ask, because you're all involved in there. So if you were talking to somebody today about using humor, okay. What advice would you give them? How should they use humor on Thursday? A typical day of the week, typical problem. What should they know about humor? Most of my stuff is focused on cognitive restructuring. So the use of humor is really to reframe the situation so that it's less stressful, less frustrating, less upsetting. And so whatever their situation is, I say you use humor to find, to pull out the funny in it. So for example, if someone says, I really get stressed out driving, maybe they were a veteran that was in a comp, maybe there was an IED that exploded when they were on a convoy. Maybe driving is a trigger for them. Maybe it causes them a lot of anxiety or they just get road rage because they don't like to be in traffic. You can say, okay, tell me about a situation recently where you may have gotten cut off in traffic or something happened. Okay. Yeah. This Prius cut me off on 395 South going 50 miles an hour, which we knew who knew a Prius could go that fast. I'm like, okay, so you've got this smart car passing you. Tell me about the person driving. Did you get a Oh, it was a, it looked like a woman or maybe middle-aged woman. That's okay. So now you've got a smart car and you could assume that maybe this woman had a phone, a smartphone, and she's driving crazy, cuts you off. So you're like, look, you can have a smart car, drink your smart water and have a smart phone, but you still drive like you're stupid like that. Find the funny in that situation. And so, yeah, that's what I would say is take the normal stuff. And I really try to draw out places of frustration where they feel they don't have control or wherever they feel that they are like somehow just a victim. How do you make them feel more in control of a situation by turning the, the table or re re imagining and cognitively restructuring their view of that situation. Ladies and gentlemen, that may be the best answer to that question that we've received. Yeah. I want a ice cream sundae with cherry on top.
Look me up in the conference. It's yours. <laughs> yeah. The conference, I'm not eating ice cream. I just want a glass of wine from the bar. So you're a mom and you have kids because you're a mom. <laughs> and I'm a real mom. I'm not a dog mom. Oh, what does that mean exactly? Oh, I just love when like dog moms are like, I'm a mom too. And I'm like, no, like being a dog mom and not having human children. It's like the vegan chicken nuggets of motherhood. You are not the same. I'm like, children are supposed to come out of your crotch, not sniff it. That's just reality. So yeah, I have a next door neighbor who has a dog and she's like, I understand what you mean. It's so hard. I'm like, it's not even close. Your dog does not talk back to you. Your dog does not shut the door and go, I just need my personal space. Like I'm going to shove you back into my personal space. That's what I'm going to do. Yeah. It's not close. (laughs) What would your advice be for your kids when they're in their twenties and they're trying to start up in this crazy world, military or not? First of all, do you think they're going to join the military? I think there's a good chance just based on statistics that a lot of military kids do serve because of their parents. We are not encouraging our children either way. I think my daughter has an interest in being a pilot. So it's possible she may choose to go into the service for that. I think my son also would be, as he gets older, perhaps interested in West Point where my husband went. He likes a lot of structure and discipline. I'm not pushing it either way. I want them to come to their own conclusion. And from a comedian's perspective, what would your advice be for your children thinking 10 years from now? Gosh, I would, oh, they're so young. I would say that whatever you do it to your best, your ability. I don't have any expectations on whether or not they go to college, a trade school, they choose to jump straight into the workforce, serve the military. All I would say is whatever you choose to do, you give it your very best. And if it doesn't work out, it's not the end of the world. You just pivot and reinvent yourself. The other is I would say be very selective of who you choose to be friends with, who you associate with, who you choose as your partner, because they will make or break you. The people around you, whether it's family, friends, a romantic partner, they have so much influence in your outcomes that you have to, if someone is not adding value or they're dragging you down or seeking you to make bad decisions, you got to cut them off and get rid of them quick. Keep your circle tight. Yep. I, that's amazing advice. 100% agree there. Yeah. I've learned that even in comedy, I have a, a small tight circle. I've got a lot of, I look at it as rings. Like you get your small little, maybe 25 meter radius and then a 50 and 75 and a hundred. And people fall in those rings of where your trust and rapport and relationship is. And I've had to take people that were in the 25 meter and push them out to 1575 because sometimes their behavior or decisions or didn't align with mine. So I was like, I'm going to back up. I'm going to distance myself a little bit because I'm just not, I don't share the same, I guess, ideologies or beliefs, especially when people get, start to get a sense of entitlement or start to whine or start to think they're better than they are, then I start to, when they lose humility, I start to lose trust in them. And I've had a couple of situations with other comics where they are starting to get too big for their britches. And I'm like, okay, you, I need Mm -hmm. to put you in 75 meter zone because yes, you're very talented, but humility is such an important part of being a good person and a good entertainer. A hundred percent agree there too. And one final plug for our listeners. Hi, listeners. You guys can find me at bestmedicinebrigade.com 
or Hilarious, H-E-A-L-A-R-I-O-U-S.org. I'm listening to you and I'm thinking, you're going to be discovered. There's going to be a situation comedy starring you. Okay. So it seems like every generation has it has a, a comedy that's influenced by the military. In the 50s, it was Sergeant Bilko. In the 60s, maybe Mikhail's Navy. In the 70s and 80s, we have MASH. Okay. So do you aspire to have your own sitcom someday? I would love to do it, but that's was never the goal. I would love to do it just because there's not one right now. There's not a mash. There's not anything military out there. And there's certainly not a lot of women veterans in entertainment period. And I think that would just bring more awareness to the work we're doing. And so anything to get more exposure and be able to get access to help more veterans, I'll do it. You wanted me to go dress up Winnie the Pooh and walk around and say, Hey, I'll do it. Like I'll do anything to get the VA and lawmakers and people that have the ability to let us do this therapy, I'll, whatever it takes, because right now we're just meeting a lot of roadblocks. It's so frustrating because oh, go to therapy and take your pills and yeah. you'll be a better, you, you won't want to kill yourself now. And if the numbers aren't indicating that's really working yeah. and this works and there's tons of science and we've been talking about this well before the patch adams movie and even that was what the when did that movie come out the 90s i'm really honored to be on like the first podcast of humor month that's fun we're launching our operation hilarious tour in columbus ohio april 1st and we have shows all the way through november so wherever ath people are all over the country if they go to our website best Messenger brigade they can see where i'm going to be close to them i would love for, to have their support and even if they can't make it to the show, maybe we can grab coffee or I prefer wine. Happy hour is always better. Robin, this has been just an honor to spend some time with you. Thank you so much. Same. same. I'm glad to see you guys face to face. Jim Bob and I've had a couple of phone calls, but it's nice to see you guys on screen. I did not. I didn't do any glamour today myself. You just have natural beauty. Oh, thank you so much. Thank you again, Robin. All right, guys. Thanks again for the opportunity. Bye. Bye. Thank you for joining us for episode 101 with special guest Robin Phoenix Johnson and our hosts Jim Bob Williams and Katie B. Thank you very much. This has been Laugh Box brought to you by the Association of Applied and Therapeutic Humor. Thank you so much for hanging out with us. Laugh Box is a production of the Association for Applied and Therapeutic Humor. Visit us online at www.aath.org. Follow us on social media, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, or LinkedIn. Music by Gary Rubio. For more information, www.garyrubiomusic.com. And we'll see you next time. Thank you.